Today from the Global Lane, Code Red. A new UN report says planet Earth is rapidly warming and you're to blame. They need to create a climate of fear to, to advance this so-called politically correct agenda. Sexual predators preying on your children in your living room. If you are a kid, especially a, a, a girl online, the chance of you being asked for nude images has never been higher. America's children return to the classroom, and now there's a bigger threat to their health than COVID. Depression has doubled. One out of four children are struggling with depression. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Code red for humanity. The United Nations released a new report this week warning that Earth's climate is getting so hot that within the next 10 years, it may likely exceed levels that world leaders are trying to prevent. And it's all your fault. Here's Hong Sung Lee, chairman of the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It is indisputable that human activities are causing climate change and making extreme weather events more frequent and severe. And how would countries reverse global warming? They're already taking steps to impose a carbon tax on citizens. Here to weigh in on this is geologist Gregory Wrightstone, executive director of the CO2 Coalition. Mr. Wrightstone is author of the book, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Greg, it's good to talk with you again. So code red for humanity or green light for moving forward with a Green New Deal. Yeah. The U.N. secretary said this report should serve as a death knell for coal and fossil fuels uh, or the planet is doomed. Well, if we look at what India and China are both doing, they're moving full speed ahead with coal-fired electricity generation. What India is doing, they're snubbing their nose at the U.N. Uh, they said the developed world has had two centuries to be able to develop their economies using fossil fuels. Uh, and too bad for us. What we're going to do is we're not going to look at global or our CO2 emissions. We're basically going to just look at our per capita CO2 emissions and continue to build coal-fired electricity and generation plants. China is going full speed ahead. Uh, and in fact, if you look, they have more coal-fired electricity generation facilities planned and under construction right now than there is in the entire United States. Uh, so any any reductions that we in the Western world do will be dwarfed by both India and China. Uh, and bear in mind, China is the number one CO2 emitter of the world, India number three, and we're right in there at number two. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay I, because I love CO2. We've talked about this before when I've been on. What we see is that the, the increasing amounts of carbon dioxide are le leading to an earth and its ecosystems that are thriving. And, and the human conditions improving because of that. We see by looking at almost every metric, um, the earth and humanity are getting better. That's a good story, and that's a real that's a really good story from a Christian perspective too. If we indeed were destroying the earth, as the UN secretary claims, well, then of course we we have a, an obligation to not do that. But we just don't see any evidence of that. Uh, food production is expanding year after year. We're breaking records. And that's due to, due to the combination of modest warming and increasing CO2. Greg, what does science and history tell us? It seems we had worse climate issues back in the 1920s and 30s, did we not? Your viewers may not know it. Sea level has risen seven inches since 1900. That's not alarming. At the same rate, 
we're, we're, we're seeing the same rate of sea level rise today as we did 120 years ago. There's been no acceleration of sea level rise. So we may see another six or eight inches of rise uh, by the end of the century. Again, nothing alarming and nothing that can't uh, be dealt with uh, with a tiny fraction of what's being proposed in this $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan. Along with roads and bridges, there's new funding for Green New Deal items like state-mandated carbon taxes and tracking and taxing people's vehicle miles. Tell us about that. It's $1.2 trillion bill. About $110 billion of that, or 10%, goes to what you and I would probably call infrastructure, bridges, roads, and the like. Uh, there's about the same amount that it looks like, from what we can tell, that's dedicated to solve um, the non-existent climate crisis prob problem, in quotation marks. Uh, I call it a solution in search of a problem. And uh, so I see, again, I, I don't see a climate emergency. So in my opinion, if you spend one penny to solve a non-existent climate crisis, you spent one penny too much. And they want to spend 100 plus billion dollars to do that. They want to impose a mileage-based tax uh, on you. But they said, well, we'll get rid of the gasoline tax. And when Gary, I'll ask you, or maybe your, your viewers, when have they ever known a tax to go away? Why the big push now, Greg? Do our politicians really believe they're helping the environment or is big money involved? Well, there's no doubt there's big money involved. Uh, I, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, I, I can't see inside men's and women's souls for their motivation. I'll put it a little more impolitely than you might. You might be asking me, why are they lying to us? And I, I can't tell you why. Uh, I think everybody, they, they may all have different reasons. But what I can do, and again, the CO2 Coalition, we're, we're a science-based group. I can provide the science. I can say, okay, they're telling you X, but the science, here it is, here's the science, it says Y. They need to create a climate of fear. Fear is a great motivator. And they're using both hunger and fear uh, to, to advance this uh, so-called politically correct agenda. Um, I, when, I, when I ask people, well, why do you think they're peddling this completely contrived story. And I hear people tell me, oh, it's the money, it's the funding, it's control, it's taxes. It's uh, some people have gone so far to say they want to, the people funding this or uh, want to destroy the, the capitalist system and the Western economies. Um, it might be a combination of all those things. What should we do, if anything, to protect our world? Well, when the Earth's ecosystems and humanity are both thriving and prospering, I'd say get out of the way. Gregory Wrightstone, CO2 Coalition Executive Director and author of the book, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Thanks for being with us, Greg. Thank you. Sexual predators are ready to pounce on your children or grandchildren. And instead of posing a danger in the neighborhood, some may already reside right in your home. Online gaming, texting, and chatting are placing children at risk, and the threat has worsened since the start of the COVID pandemic. Here's CBN News reporter Caitlin Burke. Parents usually feel that kids living under their roof enjoy a layer of protection. But if they can get online, 
then danger could just be a few clicks away. We checked out a popular gaming platform to get a clearer picture of what kids are encountering. Within minutes, we found a publicly available chat that included explicit language Ew. and even avatar pornography. We can't even show this. Unfortunately, wherever children are, predators are lurking. So when you have kids on social media or video games, particularly when there's an interactive element, absolutely, you're going to find predators there. Big tech is not designed for children, and they know that, and they're taking advantage of that. In the summer of 2020, FBI analyst Chris Travis noticed a trend in several child exploitation cases. These perpetrators were using online gaming platforms to open communication with children, so to identify basically their, their targets, to start communication with them, begin that grooming process, and then move them over to other applications where they ha they can then have video and uh, picture sharing capability. Once on a social media app, the suspect would push the child to send photos, getting increasingly aggressive. They'll say, hey, you have to keep sending me pictures or videos, and if you don't, I will post the pictures that you did send me. I'll post them on your Facebook account, or I'll link it to your Discord, or I'll send it to your parents. Our kids in this country who are sex trafficked, Right, this is the number one way it happens. It is a meet online. It is a you know, it's a runaway. It's convincing somebody to leave. It is not taken. It's not you know, the white van pulls up, scoops the kid up and grabs them and, and puts them in a dungeon. It, it is kids voluntarily leaving, not realizing that they're going into. Chris McKenna, founder of Protect Young Eyes, says building a strong relationship with your child is one of the best forms of protection. It has to start relationally. And that's by doing technology with them. That's what we call co-play. It's copy me modeling, right? It's being curious instead of condemning. It's having conversations about everything and probably two years before you want to. And then it's having a posture of coaching instead of controlling. All of the experts we spoke with stressed not to attempt banning your child from the internet. For one, it's just not realistic. Instead, take more control over what they can access in order to prevent unwanted access to them. So what else can parents and grandparents do to protect kids from online sexual predators? Well, joining us is Matt Gore. He's Senior Director of Strategy and Operations at Canopy, a digital parenting app. Matt, thanks for being with us, and I want to discuss how your app helps, but first, you wrote an op-ed for The Washington Times, and you mentioned that a recent survey shows 15% of 8-year-old girls have been exposed to sexting. 8-year-old girls. <laughs> wow. What, what's happening and why? It's really, it's really amazing what's happening out there, and I think a lot of parents would find it shocking. The new normal is that if you are a kid, especially a, a, a girl online, the chance of you being asked for nude images has never been higher. It's not just girls getting trapped into this. Predators are also luring boys. Tell us about that, because we always think of girls being mostly at risk, but it isn't just girls. That's right. Uh, one in seven kids, according to one survey, had sent an inappropriate text message, and one in four had received one. Now, those numbers are actually from 2018. In the first few weeks of the pandemic, when everyone's social lives went online, Google searches for how to sext actually tripled. So I think the problem is actually much, much larger than it was previously. 
You know, this is very disturbing. I, I mean, thinking uh, an eight-year-old girl, they don't even know what sex is. Where, where are they getting all this from, man? The truth is that um, the Internet's full of, of predators and that parents really need to be thoughtful about how they parent their children online. So it used to be people used to think of the Internet sort of like the TV, that there is some kind of censorship, at, at least something going on, so that parents could feel safe leaving their kid in front of a computer and letting that do the babysitting. That is no longer the case. Now there's all kinds of inappropriate content on the, on the web, and parents need to be really thoughtful about how they can parent digitally and not just parent in the real world. And I know many parents mean well because they want their child to have a phone if they're at a neighbor's or alone or something. They, they want to make sure they can call right away, they can be in contact with them. But uh, your company, Canopy, I understand has some software, an app that may help. Tell us how it works. One of the most important things we do is that we can actually help prevent sexting. Just like you said earlier, there are especially young kids don't really understand what's going on. And they may be asked to send a photo of themselves to a stranger on the online. What Canopy can do is actually find any inappropriate images taken on a device and flag them. It'll ask the child, are you sure you meant to take that? Why don't you run it by your parent just to make sure that you're safe? So what Canopy does is it is an app that really empowers parents to have great conversations with their kids and make sure that they're safe so that predators and other people can't take advantage of kids. So you say it may be a bit awkward, but... Ultimately, parents need to talk with their children, and it begins at a time when those kids are given phones, tablets, with outside access. So why is that important to talk with your kids about it? We think that every parent should actively set up healthy boundaries on the, on the Internet, right? So they should use a digital, an Internet filter like Canopy um, to make sure that their kids have safeguards. But also, at the end of the day, it's really about parenting. It's really about parents having hard conversations with their kids, even before, before it feels natural, right? Parents need to be having conversations with their kid about inappropriate, about inappropriate content and inappropriate uh, interactions online as soon as they give the child a device. I see parents uh, giving them iPads to two and three-year-olds, uh, playing games on them and, and so forth, and let's hope they're not online. And exposed to that kind of thing, parents really need to be aware, do they not, and, and monitor what their kids are doing. I mean, there's just nothing that can replace a parent, right? And I think, man, I, I really have so much sympathy for what parents are going through right now. Because, look, you can always look to um, our parents when we think about how to navigate things like getting your first car, because there were cars around when we were that age. But now, this is the first generation of parents who has ever had to deal with um, raising children online. So it's a, it's, a real, it's a real challenge, and that's why Canopy tries to create tools to really empower parents to make great decisions, but also, at the end of the day, parents need to be super involved, and we think that there's just nothing that can replace the magic of a parent having a great conversation and really working on the heart of their child. Well, it all comes down to parenting, doesn't it? Okay, Matt Gore, Director of Engagement at Canopy. Thank you, Matt, for providing those additional insights. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Back to school while the pandemic lingers. As American students return to their classrooms, teachers may likely discover that many suffer from depression, thoughts of suicide or anxiety. Just how bad is it? What can parents and teachers do? We're here to provide some insights as Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen is founder and CEO of Amen Clinics and author of the book, Your Brain is Always Listening. That's his latest. Dr. Amen, it's good to have you with us. So. How would you describe the mental health of America's young people right now? I'm thinking school-aged children here getting better? 
Worse? Why? Oh, no, it's dramatically worse. Brand new study came out showing that depression has doubled, that one out of four children are struggling with depression, and one out of five children is struggling with an anxiety disorder. It was already at epidemic highs uh, before the pandemic, but has just taken it to another level. The fear, the isolation, the social unrest, the political divide, all of these things, not to mention social media and um, the stress in their families has just caused many children to really struggle emotionally. And on top of that, all of that, uh, now in many places, students returning to the classrooms uh, and the, their schools requiring them to wear masks. If schools don't have enough clicks as it is, now there are concerns from some people that we're creating snitches. You know, I'm better than you because I'm wearing a mask and you're not. Or snitches, you're not wearing a mask. Teacher, what effect do masks have on learning, social uh, socialization, and mental health? Well, it's a double-edged sword. Um, masks, in one way, honor the fact that we're in a pandemic and that I'm not going to give my virus to you or the germs. I mean, you just have to take a microbiology class in medical school to realize, I mean, germs really do get passed from person to person. On the other hand, masks prevent us from reading social cues that you, you don't get someone's whole face and our genes are programmed to see people wearing masks as bad guys, as, as trouble. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. Yes, I, when you and I were younger, the bad guys wore the mask, uh, someone going in to rob a bank or something like that. Now it's okay to go into a bank with a mask. Government officials, politicians say vaccination is the best way to protect our physical health from COVID-19. But how about our mental health as this pandemic lingers? Many people say they're just about over it. So in your book, I know you talk about things that steal our joy and contentment. So what can we do to get that back? Well, I mean, the first thing we should do is we should teach children good mental hygiene. Uh, mental health habits. Uh, schools are not good places to teach kids how to manage their mind. Can you believe we got out of school and no one ever taught us not to believe every stupid thing we think? So mental discipline, and I wrote this at the beginning of the pandemic, mental hygiene is just as important as washing your hands. Whenever you feel sad, or mad or nervous or out of control, write down what you're thinking and ask yourself whether or not it's true. If you absolutely know that that's true. So learning to direct your mind in a healthy way, in a positive way, is just so helpful that no one ever taught us. I was like 28 years old before someone ever told me, you know, you really don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. And, of course, the power of positive thinking. Remember that one. Okay, Dr. Daniel Amen, founder and CEO of Amen Clinics, author of the book, Your Brain is Always Listening. Thank you for sharing your time and expertise. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Gary.
Churches burned in Canada, street preachers arrested for spreading hate speech in England, and people attacked for holding worship services at a park in Portland, Oregon. Christians in the West are now experiencing just a small taste of what their brothers and sisters living in restricted countries have experienced for years. And guess what? It's likely to get worse. But there are some recent rays of light. One day after Antifa activists attacked a group of evangelical worshipers at a park in Portland, Christian singer-songwriter evangelist Sean Foyt responded, leading a massive rally and praise service at the same location. The day before, when Antifa pelted the Christians with eggs and sprayed mace in their faces, one activist shouted, where is your God now? My answer, he was right there, even though the police were not. I'd tell the Antifa activists that God loves them. He has a better plan for their lives, plans to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them a hope and a future. Yes, God was there in the midst of Antifa's unruliness. He was also at that praise service the following day. Meanwhile, in the United Kingdom, a free speech victory for a cancer survivor, Evangelist Hazel Lewis. A London court sided with a 49-year-old who was wrongfully arrested for hate speech while street preaching at the Finsbury Park subway station in February 2020. Ms. Lewis's accusers said she made racist and homophobic comments, but others disagreed. Witnesses were astonished to see her hauled away in handcuffs. District Judge Julia Newton said there was no case against Hazel Lewis, Although some may have found Lewis's words unpleasant, they were not threatening or abusive. Bravo, Judge Newton, you get it. Finally, a UK judge who not only defends free speech, but religious liberty as well. Folks, more persecution may be coming. Let's not hesitate to defend our God-given rights. But we must also realize that God is at work, even when we suffer violent attacks, arrests, or when courts rule against us. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So take heart, because like Jesus, we shall overcome the world. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.